Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Guys, praise God, I am grateful for the warm welcome and encouragement you guys gave me. All glory be to Christ. I am grateful for you all. I am excited to see what the future has. Tonight, we are continuing our study through this wonderful epistle from Paul to Titus. By God's grace, we have completed our study in those introductory verses, those first four verses. In it, Paul Paul has introduced himself. He is a slave of God. He's established it. He explains why he is writing. He's, He's writing for the faith, the initial faith, and the godliness of the Christian, of the believer. He grounds us in hope, the hope of eternal life. That's where our hope is. And last week, Jake unpacked this this truth of discipleship. And that Titus was Paul's disciple. He had spent much time together with him. That brings us to verse 5 this evening. Verses 5 to 7. And I'm going to be completely forthright with you. This is a weighty text. It was a weighty text for me as I studied it. It convicted me. It slayed me. And by God's grace and to his glory, I hope it does the same for you all tonight. Trends, trends define, most often, trends define our culture. Trends define our culture. Clothing styles come and go. Some should, you know, some should come back, some shouldn't come back. Whatever the case is, clothing styles come and go. Names become popular, unpopular, depending on what celebrity might have that name. We even have people on social media we call quote-unquote influencers. That literally their entire job is to determine what the next trend is going to be. Like, I was late on the, on the boat of the Stanley mug. Who all has Stanley mugs? Go, go, go. It's a trend. People like Stanley mugs. Take a cup. I don't know. Anyways, trends define our culture. Now, I want to bring this into a question. Do we as Christians allow the trendy culture to determine how and what the church is? Are are, are we doing it? Are you looking, when you come to church, for mere entertainment, a trendy atmosphere? 
the two questions, the two main questions we have before us this evening are this. Who is qualified to be a church leader? And really, these are the same question. What defines church leadership? And that says the truth disciples. But it is supposed to say the truth defines church leadership. It's okay. The truth defines church leadership. Part one. Because the text we have tonight, I just felt it was better. It was to our benefit to break it up into two parts. So, the truth defines church leadership. Now, let me be upfront and offer a bit of encouragement. Yes, this message is on what qualifies an elder, a church leader, an overseer. We'll, we'll use that term interchangeably. And yes, this message is for you, guy and gal. It's for elders, and what qualifies an elder, and... All scripture is God-breathed, and so it is for you. Paul is going to identify to Titus what qualifies an elder. They are qualities Christians ought to have. Elders must have these characteristics. Must have them. Christians should have them. You should have them. Let me read our text. First, not first, Titus, that's embarrassing. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious. Our outline is simple. Honor God with an orderly church and honor God with qualified leadership. Our first point. Paul was deliberate we can see in the text, Paul was deliberate in leaving Titus in Crete. We heard it last week. Titus was Paul's child in the faith. Paul trusted Titus. They had done ministry together. They had probably cried together, prayed together, confessed sin together. They knew each other. And now, Paul trusting Titus for the sake of the gospel, for the honor of the church, Titus must remain in Crete. That, by the way, is the goal of discipleship. This is, Titus is fruit from a tree that has been well taken care of. It's evidence that Paul invested not just small portions of time, Paul invested his life into Titus. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. In this way, having fond affection for you, we are pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become beloved to us. That's discipleship. Is that our mindset when we disciple one another? Are we ready to share our lives with one another? Crete was a pagan society. By their own admission, 
Verse 12 of chapter 1. Cretans were habitual liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That sounds pretty pagan to me. In other words, Paul had invested enough life, enough life into young Titus that he was content in entrusting him with a various, very serious twofold task. Set in order what remains and appoint elders in every church. Set in order what remains or what is unfinished. The term order is unique. In Greek, it suggests putting something straight. It's crooked and now it's straight. You're to put it in order. It was a medical term used for setting a broken limb. Uh, Sam mentioned a little bit ago, I was born and raised on our family farm. Several years ago, I was out working in the field, unhitching a trailer. Before I was ready, the guy on the tractor drove away before I could tell him to do so, and the trailer hitch came slamming down on my foot. It hurt. Probably some of the worst pain I ever felt. I yelled. It hurt bad. And after waiting several days, probably should have done it right away, several days, I decided since my toe was twice the size and no joke, a rainbow of colors, I saw every color. I should go get it checked out. Sure enough, it was broken. But as you know, they can't really do much for a broken toe. And if you didn't know that, I I hate to tell tell you this, don't break your toe because they can't really do much. They're just, you're going to limp for a long time. But they did say, tape it up so it heals properly and grows straight. That's the picture here. Paul is telling Titus, get the church straightened out. Bring to order whatever remains. And I honestly believe Paul had a couple things in view here. We talked about them last week or two weeks ago. Doctrine and duty. Knowing God and godliness. Titus must bring order to these areas in chapter 1 verse 13 we read that some have churned away from the truth and therefore they need to be reproved in chapter 2 verse 1 titus is exhorted to teach sound doctrine it wasn't enough for titus to have it he had to make sure the church had it he had to straighten the church out with sound doctrine what about duty verse 16 of chapter 1 we read that some denied god By their works. They weren't living godly. And so the and Paul so so in that area as well, Paul Paul's like Titus, get it straight to doubt. Doctrine and duty, knowing God and godliness. Whatever is crooked, whatever is wanting, whatever is preventing the church from functioning as it ought to, get it straightened out. Because here's the thing, guys. We're talking about God's church here. It's, it's not man's inven- invention, right? When we come to church, it's not man didn't invent it. We're not just sitting here because we think it's like, oh, this is a good idea. No, we're doing it because God invented it. God commands it. First Timothy 3.15. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself... In the household of God. Consider that. 
when you come into church. On a Sunday morning, you are in the house of God with fellow believers which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Titus's job was to get the church in line with truth. That's what that means. Set in order what remains, Titus, get it in line with the truth. Truth defines the church, its leadership. We order the church as God has prescribed In his word, you are to order your life as God has prescribed in his word. Contrary to what so much of, guys, what Christianity, contemporary Christianity is doing, we do not get to dress up the bride of Christ however we want. We do it as God has commanded. One author said, we do what God commands... We do not do what he forbids, and we use scriptural wisdom for everything else. We do what God commands, we do not do what he forbids, and we use scriptural wisdom for everything else. Part two, point two, honor God with qualified leadership. See, a key way to establish order for Titus in these churches is to establish qualified elders. Not only was the church lacking order, it lacked leadership. In fact, it lacked order because it lacked leadership. And this is not just true of the church in general. I mean, what does a nation look like without government? Anarchy in the streets. What does an army look like without a commander? A defeated army. A family without a father or a mother. Chaos in the home. Authority is not man-made. It reflects something far greater. It, 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 reflects our, it reflects our submission to God. We were created for authority. Again, remember that first question I asked at the beginning two weeks ago. Are you God's slave? Is he your master? You were created to submit to him. Honorable authority is good and it glorifies God. Churches need leadership. It is a requirement, requirement for being a church. And listen, faithful church leadership produces faithful church members. They are, they are the byproduct, byproduct of a church that is being led by godly men. People, listen, people will inevitably, inevitably, oh, can't speak, become like the person they follow. People become like those they follow. That's why it's vitally important that elders are biblically qualified according to what we are about to read. They need to be God's men. They need to be God's men. Are you grateful for the godly men who lead this church? How do you show it? Are you grateful that any one of those men, specifically speaking to you gentlemen in here, would be elated to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee and talk? These biblically qualified 
godly men. Here's a specific command. Appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Qualified elders secure truth-filled churches. Qualified elders secure truth-filled churches. So how, how, let me ask you this. How often are you praying for your church elders? For perseverance, for wisdom, for grace, to stand firm in the truth. Because biblically defined elders have a rigorous task. Our elders here at Trinity, I don't want to just talk about out there. Our elders here at Trinity have a rigorous task. Acts 20 verse 28 says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased by his own blood. The elder, first and foremost, like Christ before them, is a shepherd. They guide, they feed, they provide, they guard the church. Appointed by man, yes, but ultimately called and chosen by the Holy Spirit. These are men who faithfully uphold the word of God, even to their own hurt. They hold that unwavering conviction that God's word is the truth, and it defines, it determines how the church is to run. Listen, elders, overseers, They are for the good of the church, and they are for your good. Now, Paul's no fool, because, look at Titus needs to be efficient and strategic. There's no time to waste. He He is to appoint elders in every city. It's strategic. Gospel, or, or let me say this, gospel advancement, kingdom advancement is to be strategic. Have you ever thought about that? It's to be strategic. The goal is colonizing the world with the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That is how man, unholy, unrighteous, sinful man is reconciled to the holy God. Jesus says in Mark sixteen fifteen to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The church is the primary means that, that this happens, that this gospel proclamation happens. And so if the church, if the church is to be faithful in the task of gospel proclamation, it needs order. And for it to have order, it needs elders in every city. And what kind of person is fit for the task? That's the question. That's the question we asked at the beginning. What kind of person is fit for the task? Who is qualified? Nice personality? Winsome face? Trendy dress? A good old boy? A good voting record? Nope. And you knew the answer to that. 
None of these qualities make a man ready for church leadership. It might be what the world wants, but truth alone defines it. Samuel, and uh, we, were, we were in 1 Samuel just this last Sunday. Samuel wrongfully assumes when, when, when he's anointing the next king, Samuel wrongfully assumes that David's eldest brother is to be king by the way he looked. And what does God say to Samuel? Man looks not at the, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. That's where a man is determined for leadership. Does God have his heart? Is Christ the sovereign in his heart? Who is the sovereign in your heart tonight? Because Paul, Paul tells Timothy, as I directed you, not, not what you think is best, but as I directed you, and this is what he says. If any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious. Three categories here, really, where we have, where the elder must pursue excellence. Three arenas, three arenas that he must be, and I want you to catch this word, blameless, beyond reproach. We're going to tackle the first one tonight, and Lord willing, the second two next Tuesday. First one, blameless in his character. Blameless in his character. Next, blameless in conduct. And finally, blameless in conviction. Character, conduct, and conviction. Blameless in character. Paul's careful here how he pins this list of qualities. He isn't just throwing a list together. Sometimes we might have things that when we see lists in the Bible, like, oh, he's just writing as he thinks. No, he's not just throwing a list together. First Peter 1.20 says, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men, being moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The Holy Spirit is directing Paul in in how he places these qualifications in the exact spot. It's amazing. Do Do we treat God's word that way? Every word in it, every word is true and it's in that exact spot because that is the way Yahweh wanted it to be. That first word, if any man is beyond reproach, if, first class conditional. In other words, this must be true. If it's not true, if it's not true, he can't shepherd the church of God. If, and we might be tempted to think, was well, that too harsh? Just instant disqualification. Is it, is it too harsh? Not at all. Because here's the reality. God owns the church. We talked about it a little bit ago. He purchased it by the blood of his son. And so think of it this way. If you were to purchase a house, 
Do you not have the ability to choose what paint color or where the furniture is going to go? Same idea. This is God's church, and that's a good thing. A man beyond reproach. A blameless man. Now, does this mean women are not important to God? The culture would like to think so. That God doesn't value women? May we never fall prey to such a lie from hell at Trinity. And I say that with seriousness. Because just consider, just consider with me for a moment, Genesis 2.18. Then Yahweh God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And how does Adam respond to the woman? Only in the greatest love song ever. Genesis 2, this one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because this one was taken out of man. Contrary to the secular culture and contrary to the secular culture now, God's word places indescribable value. On women, even here in Titus, and we're going to get there soon, and I'm excited. It's fun to look forward to Titus. Like I know where we're going. Even here in Titus, Paul is going to dedicate several passages, several verses, <clears throat> verses on the high and honorable position of women in the home, and how that brings glory to God and His Word. It's amazing, but. More on that in a couple weeks. For now, we just, we say amen. God says, if any man, we say amen. We trust in God and his word is perfect. If any man is beyond reproach. The term means here, beyond reproach, it means blameless. It means that, that he's without fault. No indictment is held against him. He's unchargeable. He's unstained. He's clean. Look, if the man was on trial, the jury couldn't find anything to stick to him. That's the kind of man we're talking about. That's what, that's what beyond reproach, that's what blameless means. But it does not mean, because I'm tempted to hear that. I'm like, well, perfect. I can't be perfect. It does not mean perfection. It does not mean perfection, because if that were the case, no one would be qualified. Blamelessness means that there, there's no gross sin in his past or present that might bring reproach on himself or on the church of God. There's nothing that's going to call, call into question, hmm, is this, is this guy godly? I don't, maybe we shouldn't be having him help lead this church. There, there's not that kind of conversation he is beyond reproach. And so the question we need to ask ourselves tonight is this. Is that us? 
Are you living a blameless life? Yes, it is applied to the elder in this context, but it is nonetheless for you. Because listen to this, Philippians 2.15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Catch this. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the idea of blamelessness. Living with such innocence that you're a light to the world. Is your conduct amongst the world, at school, at work, so pure that it is a testimony to them? 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, by keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. That's it. Being blameless, guys, being blameless is a security for your soul and it's a testimony to others. Do your, here's a question. Do your unbelieving friends and family witness your life and give glory to God? Blamelessness is not, beyond reproach, is not for some elite class of Christian and for the elder only. It is for you. This is how you are to live. This is how I am to live right now, today, as a slave of God. And Paul begins this blameless character in the home. A person's proven worth, his character, I want you to catch this, his character always starts at home. Who you are at home is who you really are. Let's face it. Who you are at home is who you really are. Character isn't as much seen in the public eye as it's seen in the private. How I love and serve and lead my wife, Rebecca, and Olivia and Owen tells you who Chad Blakian really is. I can put on a good face, but if I have failed in the home, God help me. Because that's the first ministry. I have a duty, Lord willing, you too someday will have a duty to one, as, as we see here, faithfully love and, and serve and be faithful to my wife and to raise my children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord that they are faithful. Men, we don't get to shrink from this responsibility. And I know you know that, but I'm going to say it again. We don't get to shrink from this responsibility. Women, neither do you. You must, think, you must be looking for way, encourage, aid, support, and pray for your future husband in this. I know, you know, I'm not married. How can I be doing that? We're looking forward to the future here. What are you doing now? 
to prepare yourself for that man. What are you doing now to prepare yourself for that? If a man cannot shepherd his own home, just full stop, he has zero business shepherding the church of God. The devil loves, catch this, the devil loves weak-willed, sissified, non-committal, and convictionless men. Eats them for breakfast. He loves weak-willed, sissified, non-committal, and convictionless, convictionless men. And our culture is bent on pumping them out left and right. Watch any sitcom TV show. Who is the dummy, goofball, no idea what's going on character in the show? The husband. Who's the guy that lets his children walk all over him? The father. Our culture loves weak-willed, sissified, non-committal, convictionless men. But God calls us to something much higher. Men of God, what will you be? Joshua 24, 15. If it is evil, Joshua speaking, in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. What are you doing today, men? What are you doing, men, today to prepare yourself? Listen, I am a young married man with children, and I have a lot to learn. A lot. But I do know this, and I'm learning this, that godly habits are not built when you get to this point. They are built back there. They are built now. They are built now. If you think, well, I'll start reading my Bible habitually once I get married because I need to be good for good leader for my wife. Or women, I need, to, I need to start reading my Bible once I get married and be good for my husband and be a good homemaker, whatever. No. It starts today. Habits start today. The church, Paul is saying, needs men who know how, first and foremost, to shepherd their own homes. And he says that they must be a husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. Now, being married without divorce, does that instantly qualify you? Of course not. Because we know very well that men can be married to one woman their whole life and yet lust all over the place. In fact, that's what Jesus' point is on the Sermon on the Mount. If you just look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. So we know that just being married isn't to, to one woman isn't Paul's only thing in sight. It is, it is what he has in view, but it's not the only thing in view. But what he has in view here is faithfulness and purity, fidelity, both in physical and in the mind, to his wife. He must be, he must be a one-woman kind of man. And if he's not married, the man must still be faithful and pure, sexually. 
the church leader and the Christian is to be committed to a lifestyle of purity, utter purity, blamelessness. Paul, not Paul, I'm sorry, Job, far different from Paul. Job says this in Job 30, uh, 30, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Listen to this. How then could I gaze with desire at a young woman? Paul opens this way with sexual purity, faithfulness to his wife. And I don't believe it's just random. He's saying that because, listen, consider, consider in the Bible those, those in leadership and how prone they were to sexual sin. It's as if Satan has his sights on them more. Consider, consider Solomon. Consider David. And Solomon, who wrote Proverbs 7.25, says this, Do not let your heart go astray into her ways. He's referring to the prostitute. He's referring to specifically sexual sin. Do not let your heart go astray into her ways. Do not wander into her pathways. For many are the slain whom she cast down, and numerous are all those who are killed by her. There's something about being in leadership that Satan sets his target, his sights on him. This is why Paul exhorts Timothy, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22. Think of Joseph fleeing the seduction of Potiphar's wife. He cries out, how can I do this wickedness against God? He can't even fathom it. And what does he do? He runs out of the house, leaves his coat behind. He flees the lusts of the flesh. That is how we are to be. Young men, if you're struggling with unchecked lustful desires, reach out. Take heed to Jake's message last week. Be discipled. Young women, same question, same, same urging, same command. And I, may, I realize it may manifest itself differently simply because of the way God has created both man and woman and, and how he has wired men and women differently. But nonetheless, sin is sin. And I encourage you, seek godly counsel from the older women. Almost finished. Faithfulness and purity are of vital importance. But listen, it's not all. Paul has more to say regarding a man's character. He must shepherd his children well. And I'll be honest, this hits home for me. My two little babies are now crawling everywhere. And Olivia is persistent on going to the one spot of the house she cannot go to, the outlet. Now, we're smart parents, and we put the little plug thing in the outlet. But several times this week, and she keeps going back. And she laughs, and then it's like, okay, I got to go harder. And then, you know, I didn't go that hard. But my point is that I'm starting to see it. Paul says this. If he were, or I should say this, 
Let me read the passage. It says, having faithful children who are not accused of dissipation or rebellious. Listen, if Paul were to put this in a question, it would simply be this. Who runs the home? Parents or the children? Who obeys who? Look, I realize there's been discussion over the years about what this passage means. Does it mean believing children? Does it just mean uh, uh, submissive and faithful children? Well, how do we interpret it? And here's what I believe, and I want you to take the opportunity, even with your small group, you can study it further. But rather than Paul demanding that the elder's children be all believers, which is something the elder does not have control over, he is telling, the, telling Titus that it is the lifestyle of the children, whether they're faithful or disobedient, it's the lifestyle of the children that reveals the character of the father. It's, it's, that, it's that the lifestyle unveils how much influence the father has had on them and what kind of influence the father has had on them. Let's put it this way. When we talked about discipleship last week, imagine that a young man or woman you're discipling turns out to walk faithfully with God their whole life. Even amidst trials, praise God. And we praise God for the, for the work they've done in that person's life. And we praise God for the work they did in your life, ultimately. But doesn't their lifestyle of faithfulness reflect the faithful discipleship that was invested? Absolutely. That's the picture. The behavior of the children echo the one who is raising them. MacArthur says this, John MacArthur says this, if you want to know if he is able to lead the unsaved to faith in Christ and help them grow in obedience and holiness, simply examine the effectiveness of his efforts with his own children. The elder, the overseer, the church leader must be a man of blameless character in the home. That's where it begins. And by God's grace, we are going to address the remaining two next week. But let me just say this as we close. I was, as I said at the beginning, convicted, slayed by this text this week. But I found comfort in knowing that the gospel is all over Titus. Blamelessness can seem like an impossible task, but there is hope. Because Paul opens this letter and he says, I'm a slave of God, which means he's not a slave of sin. Sin will try to convince us that it's our master, but he's lying to you. The gospel, friends, both saves and it sanctifies. The grace of God both, both uh, saves and transforms. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So let's close with this verse. 1 Corinthians 1.8 Who will also, referring to God, confirm you to the end, beyond reproach, same word, who will also confirm you to the end, beyond reproach, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come.
realizing the weightiness of the call to church leadership and how, as Christians, we are to, to also resemble and bear these, this fruit, and we desperately need your grace. Cause us, Lord, to hear your word and to do it, to treasure Christ and not the world, to be grateful for the elders in our church and to pray for them. Lord, help us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can rest and that we, we rest and that one day you will present us blameless. One day you will present us blameless without sin and we look forward to that day. And until that day, God, give us strength by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.